It's the Task Management and Time Blocking Podcast. Episode 27. So you've made lots of progress in your task management in the past. You're no beginner. You probably read some books and followed some sound ideas and found yourself getting more effective, more productive, and making fewer errors, less mistakes. But lately, you feel as if you have stalled a bit. You're no longer growing in leaps and bounds the way you used to. And you miss that growth that you once experienced. It was fun, right? Now, changes come really slowly, if at all. It seems as if they're happening by accident as opposed to by design. Well, what can you do about this? You're tempted to think that you're the only one who's going through this and you may be even wondering, should I give up and try something different? Because, well, there are places in life where you put in some effort and you get some results and maybe task management, time blocking, are just one of those areas where you get to a certain point and you don't get any better and then instead you go work on your karate or your chess skills or something else. But is that tactic what you really want? Do you really want to give up? Do you have a choice? Are there alternatives? Can you achieve further growth in your task management? So tune into this episode to hear from me and my special guest, Dr. Bert Atkins, as we solve this challenging problem together. Welcome to the Task Management and Time Blocking Podcast. And we're back. And as you may see, we've brought up Dr. Brett Atkins to be my guest. And before I introduce him, let me do a couple of things. One is to let you know if you've never listened to this podcast before, kind of how it works, because it's not like your usual podcast where you interview someone who's written a book and they talk about the book and it's not that. So what we do is we pick a problem. Uh, uh, we try to find a, a sticky, popular, tough to solve problem. And together, we're going to go at it with hammers and tongs, using our best thinking, our best ideas, everything we can think of to try and come up with some solutions that you can use and need and apply. So the first part of the program is all about breaking apart the problem, where we try to understand it from all its different angles. So we don't solve anything in the first part. Second part, we go into the solving. And, um, and the third part, we go into implementation. And our goal today is not to just rehash stuff that we already know, because we know a lot. Gina Tool was a fake. <laughs> our goal is to actually come up with something brand new that neither of us have thought of before. Kind of create some serendipity. And if we produce a moment of serendipity, you'll hear a bell. <laughs> I'll have to put it in actually afterwards, but <laughs> it'll go off. Yeah. But if we get to the point where we, run, we end, get to the end of the episode and we've not come up with anything brand new, then we'll earn the buzzer. Go like, kind of like an end of basketball game buzzer. It doesn't mean that anything bad has happened. It just means that we got to the end of the time. We didn't come up with anything serendipitous or brand new. And that's it. But you would have learned something and heard an interesting conversation either way. So let me introduce Brett to you. Uh, so Dr. Brett Atkins, uh, scrolling down, teaches college courses in organizational leadership and helps his, his students become more academically successful by improving their productivity. His interest began while deployed during various emergencies during the past 20 years. Dr. Atkins observed how emergency responders use methods to accomplish critical tasks within a highly limited time frame. So he's someone who thrives under pressure. Brett, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Francis. And I think if I really thrived on pressure, I'd still be doing that, but I'm not doing that as much these days. Uh, but it is fantastic to actually be on the same stage with you. I've listened to your podcast uh, that you've done independently and with some of your other colleagues and attended your summit. It's uh, probably now maybe at least two, maybe three years, and it is, uh, I'm honored to be here. 
Oh, it's great to have you. I, 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 we've, as you know, we've talked at length, and um, having having someone who who is interested and thinks about these things a lot. I mean, there's there's just so many people who are willing to put in the time and the effort, and you're clearly someone who has, which is why it's great to have you on the show. Because I don't know what we're gonna get up to here, but <laughs> let's do, jump into it and see. Okay. So I'll tell you a, a quick story. Um, and the story is about someone named Roberto. So she's a true productivity enthusiast. Although she only started on her journey a year ago, she's implemented everything in GTD, getting things done that she could find. But in the last few months, she's noticed a problem. She has some 300 tasks. Some people tell her that she has too many. But she, she reasons, she says to herself, I can't get rid of these. They're all important to either my job or my personal life or my health or my family. So she tried using a waiting for uh, and an ex next action list straight from mm -hmm. David Allen's advice. But the advice to check the list whenever she needs to choose a task to execute next is overwhelming. She spends the whole of her time, all of her time, checking the list just to make sure that nothing has been forgotten. And checking the list means starting at the top of a list of 300, getting down to the bottom and wondering, what were in the first 10 items at the top of that list of 300? <laughs> Very difficult to manage. So time blocking to her seems to be the answer. But David Allen was very explicit in the book. She read it very carefully. It's a technique, he said, that would create more problems than it solves. But that's not what people are seeing who actually use this approach, the approach of time blocking. Her initial experiments, so she's tried it, they've been promising, but she hasn't made the switch entirely. She's still fearful. Now and then she has a philosophical question. Should she follow GTD or any prescription, you know, that details behaviors forever? Should she do it until she dies or passes away or retires? Really? Or is there another answer here? So, interesting problem, isn't it, Brett? I think so. And I would be wonderfully uh, enthusiastic to jump right into the solution, but I agree with you completely. Let's uh, let's pick away at it just a little bit more and uh, see if the, the multiple layers of this situation can reveal something. It may be like an onion. The more layers we peel, the more tears come to our eyes about the situation. But I think we can learn something from it. Let's get some tears going. <laughs> they come to our eyes. So, so, um, so she, she's not, she's not, she's very typical of people who use GTD because they got the benefit that the book prescribed. It, it, mm -hmm. it, 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 things got better just the way David Allen promised. And then they got to a level, you know, they, they added more tasks because that's what people do when they become more productive. They go, yeah, yeah, I can do more. I can do more. And then something happened. And the something happened, just to say for sake of argument, probably has something to do with the fact that she added more tasks than GTD was really meant to handle. Mm -hmm. Maybe. So we'll, we'll, we'll take a look and see. What do you well, think? Well, my well certainly, you know, if you, if you look at a, a typical office, we have our desk. We have the things right in front of us. But many of us also have either a physical or an electronic filing cabinet that we can go to and get some things out. We can reacquaint ourselves with something there, but we're not working out of the filing cabinet all the time. We pull out what we need after reviewing it and then putting it on our workspace, our physical, our psychological workspace, and we begin to work on it there. I would also offer this about Roberta, that She's following GTD because, at least in the story, that's the first book she read, or that's the first thing that she uh, began to acquaint herself with. So what if there was another book, another system that she had developed? And that's what I found when I got into this. I would get this book, and I'd go, oh, this is the best thing. There's sliced bread, and there's this, and it's the best thing since sliced bread, as the expression goes. And then I would look at another book, and I would go, 
wait a minute, this book is different than this book. Which which one is right? What am I supposed to do? And I would say, well, I have to clearly toss out this one because I've now read this one. And I would bounce around from system to system. And I said, there's got to be a better way. What? And no one was telling me what to do because clearly unless you pay somebody, uh, they're not going to tell you what to do. You will, uh, you know, get a, a coach to, to help you up. And so I yeah, began to what, think more and more of why are these various systems out there? Right. What, what most coaches will tell you is, oh, just do what I do. Yep. yep. And, 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 and if I can say, uh, if, if uh, anybody asked me, I would say, don't do what I do, but I'll tell you what I'll do, what I do. And I would encourage you to ask others what they do and then put it together for yourself. And what you find may work. And then it may not, meaning in time, it may not. And then you make a tiny tweak and all of a sudden it comes back in. I will say this, that we perhaps want more than we possibly could ever have. Meaning we want our system to be 99 to 100% uh, efficient or and effective. And we may never get there. You know, if we go back to the 80-20 principle, we may only get it to 80% or so, you know, three quarters of the way, which is better than many people, better than the way we used to do it. Maybe not as good as we'll do it in six months, but I don't think we'll ever reach a point that we're no longer able to improve. And the reason is, what is that level? We don't have a definition of what the absolute perfect goal is. So therefore, we'll never know if we've crossed that finish line. So it's always just out there ahead of us as a, as a goal, an admirable goal, but we, a goal we may never reach. So if we fixate on that, we may get frustrated. But if we look right, back and she, go, here's what we did, we may be happy with what we've accomplished. Right. And she, but she's had people who to, who've told her that she should scale back her ambitions and 300 tasks is too many. And that's a lot of the advice that's going around because people are taking, people who are giving advice are using, oh, you're, you're finding yourself running late. Oh, well, when I had that problem five years ago, here's the solution I applied and it worked mm -hmm. for me. So do what I did. Still having the problem? Oh, you probably have too many commitments. So instead, if, if what I did, what I'm suggesting doesn't work, cut mm -hmm. back your commitments because you're trying to do too much. And that's the coaching that is being given by coaches who really don't have a model, a, a full model. Because mm -hmm. they, they, see, they see the same symptoms and they figure that the cause has to be the same. Yeah. The reasoning well, uh, has to be yeah. the same. And so, so Roberta ends up kind of scratching her head saying, what? But, but, but that's, 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 I don't want to do that. I don't <laughs> well, want to do that. Yeah, and and she probably doesn't have to, but she may have to scale back her expectations, which will then scale back a later reality. You know, kind of think of it that way. It's like, what do I want to do, and what did I do? And then if I review what I did, maybe that will reset my thought process for the next day, which is why many people encourage uh, those that are trying to tweak their system to journal every day. Get an idea of what did you do? What did you accomplish? If you see that you accomplished, I'm just going to pull an arbitrary number out, eight things every day, eight big things, eight little things, four big things, four little things, whatever it is. And you see that over the past week, month, five months, that's all you were accomplished. Then what possesses you to think that you're going to do nine or 19 the next day? History is the best indicator of the future tense because that's all we've got to go on, what we have done as a pattern. So we should maintain our expectation as people that are researching themselves, you know, the unexamined, unexamined life is not worth living, that we want to measure our progress in something. If we see that our baseline is this, then there's no reason to think unless we change our pattern, like an athlete, if they run a certain distance at a certain pace, they're right. probably going to make incremental improvements, but if they don't change things for the greater, then they probably won't have that leap. And I think it's the same thing with us. If we keep doing the same thing, but 
keep track of what you're doing. So it's not just, oh, yeah, I work 55 hours a week. Oh, really? Did you measure with a time log how much you work? Oh, I did. And I only work 42 hours per week. Right. So good data helps set up a good plan. Right, right, right. And when you don't have either data or uh, a model for why this is happening, you could end up like Roberto, you know, being very, very, very confused and feeling as if, should I just stop trying to improve? Because if GTD is supposed to be, for example, I'm not, I don't mean to pile on GTD, but if this solution that someone suggested to me that I'm using is supposed to be the latest, greatest, and it's not doing what it should, maybe I should just give up and figure that this is the best it can get and I should just move on. Yep. And many people are doing that. They just yep. can't, can't be bothered. Yep. Too much so, work. Yeah. Well, let me give you an anecdote of something that I discovered that my best thinking didn't work. Uh, I tried it. It sounded like a great idea at the time. I executed it, and it failed for me miserably. Now, for others, it may work uh, perfectly. So I have a task management system, and the, the brand name doesn't really matter, but it allows for someone to sort by priority by date by topic by tag by buckets you know and you can have these nested things and the vast majority of them do that well what i was concerned with and and i had a today and a tomorrow bucket and then some like gtd's context when i'm at my computer when i'm in a car you know going somewhere a car errand an outside chore versus an inside chore it had these buckets and i you know, I was afraid that I was missing things that were buried down in there because, like my brother, I had several hundred things. Now, this adage, the saying is you will still have things on your to-do list when you are done, as in when you retire or when you pass this mortal coil, when you are gone, there will still be items on a to-do list. That's, uh, we'll, we'll never finish our we'll to-do finish, list. Right. You know? So if we, we've got to keep that in mind is that, oh yeah, there's the reality check there. So I have these several hundred items and I'm like, and, and there are things that I thought of, things that I, some, I absolutely know I will never do, but they were an idea. Like GTD, capture, get it out of your mind and put it somewhere so you know it's there, that trusted system that he uses, or, or David Allen talks about. And so I know it's there, and I feel secure in knowing that I could either browse or I could search by some odd keyword that's stuck in my mind. And uh, I go, oh, uh, tiramisu. You know, you know, I'm pulling that out of my head. And if I just type tiramisu in the software, oh, there's something that I wrote there five years ago about we'd love to have tiramisu in Paris in the spring. You know, I'm making that up too. But but I know that those things are highly unlikely to occur, certainly this week, this month, this year. But I got concerned that there were things in there. Oh, what if I'm forgetting something? You know, is there something that has fallen off? And so I did this. And it took a long time to do this. And as you've said, and your colleague, Ray Sidney Smith, have said, uh, you can spend a lot of time working on your system and not doing work. And so right. I spent hours extracting every single task because I had a great, a great idea. I was going to put all these tasks in a spreadsheet. And then I was going to use uh, Eisenhower, Dr. Covey's uh, important, urgent matrix. Mm -hmm. Then I was going to put a mathematical value to important and urgent and then run a mathematical calculation on each of the tasks that I would arbitrarily say, is that important? Yes. Is it urgent? No. So you would see one would have a higher score and one would have a lower score there. And so you mathematically do this and then run the calculation and then sort by this, by this produced value. And then it would sort my list perfectly and I would be so efficient. Well, I spent so many hours doing that, and I played with it for a couple of weeks, and I went, I'm still not getting some of these things done. I'm getting the top two or three things done. Why? Because they're very important, or they're very urgent, or both. 
but I'm not doing these other things. And I'm starting to feel overwhelmed because I'm seeing this list, even though I even grayed out the thought. I tried to turn oh, off goody. being able to see it. I was like, oh, I've created oh, a monster. Oh, oh. oh and, green. Oh, uh, oh fancy color like, coding. This is oh, this is not working. Oh yeah, I color code. You know, things are high priority, medium priority. So I'm recategorizing based on this, you know, mathematical formula, and I made a mess of that. And so I tried it for like three weeks, and I went, okay, I'm back, and I made sure I imported <laughs> back all of those into my task system, and now I do what I think we're going to talk uh, about, Roberta, uh, of figuring out how often to look at this list, and then feel comfortable until the next time, a week, a month, a quarter, whatever uh, she feels and we feel in our own list, I feel comfortable in looking at that list and go, yep, I'm good now. Because it's not that, and think of this, uh, watch me carefully or follow me because sometimes I'm hard to follow, is it's not that you are going to get to all of the items on that list, but you're going to get to enough of the important and urgent things to fill the time available. Mm -hmm. And that comes back to it. And that would be another point that I would want to make is in all of these problems that I have, you have, Roberta has, and, and other people in knowledge work, is time is the universal friend or foe. Depends mm -hmm. on how you think about it. You can't argue with time. I, you know, I maintain when I do presentations, I may use the words time management, but here's the secret. You don't manage time. If you were to manage time, I have an hourglass behind me on the uh, on my uh, on my desk. Okay, if you can manage time, then fix this, change this hourglass, do something with it. Oh well, that's not what I mean by manage time. I go well semantically. You are saying I can convert time, I can oversee time, whatever you use with the term management. And I say, well, you can't do that. And we may say, oh well, that's just. That's just the words, and we don't really mean that. I go, well, why don't we find better words? And it's task management or it's self-management. It's I'm managing my expectations about what I can get done. I'm managing my processes, or I'm managing the number of things that I write down in my list. And one thing may be is get a smaller list. You know, that uh, to-do lists, if you have a physical to-do list, and I keep one about that size with me. You can see it's about the size of a, a pencil. It's very small. And you could write down the number of items you could accomplish in a day on that and keep that with you. And don't worry about the 300 uh, plus uh, items in the list. But I apologize. I kind of went into a solution there. <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's the and people who are listening to the podcast may be thinking, oh, we're going to be advocating one system over another or one technique over another, but that's actually not, not why we're here to discuss Roberto's problem. Roberto's problem is hidden in the story that I, I, I shared, which is that mm -hmm. she actually made one jump and now she needs to make another, which is that she, before she picked up GTD or whatever system she, someone uses, you're using memory. So you're mm -hmm. using a memory-based system. And that allows you to manage a certain number of tasks. Then you pick up something more formal. It allows you to use lists and sorted lists. And, and that works. But the number of tasks that you are trying to manage keeps increasing in the background. So you're not necessarily tracking. Most people don't track the number of tasks that they're trying to manage. But the number keeps going up anyway. And then all of a sudden, it stops working. This nice new system that replaced the one you had before, it also stops working. It stops producing the results that you want. And it's a, it's a little bit like um, two inflection points. So the first one she had was when she went from using memory to using lists. And then the second one, which we hinted at in the story, is that she now needs to go from using lists to doing time blocking. So using a calendar and bringing time in. So those are two inflection points. But here's the problem. No one talks about them. These two inflection points are seen as just, for some, a matter of taste or a matter of personality or culture or just luck. Or... 
And I can see it from personal example because I actually jumped from one to the other, went back and I went back and forth trying to figure <laughs> out. Didn't it didn't seem to have any rhyme or reason to me why one system worked versus another. So I, I was time blocking for about six, seven, eight years, and then I went back to using lists, tried to make GTD work, didn't work. It was much worse than what I was trying to do. So I had to go back to time blocking because I didn't see these inflection points and neither does Roberto. And maybe if you're listening to this podcast, neither do you, because really what we're saying is that you will always want to add more tasks. And as you add more tasks, you'll reach the limit of whatever system you're using. And as you hit the limit of whatever system you're using, all of a sudden you start to see symptoms and you start to wonder why. And that's, it's a, it's a good sign, right? Right, Brett, because it actually triggers, gives you a trigger that, oh, I need to examine what I'm doing to see if I need to make a, this is a sign that I need to make a change. So it's a good thing. Yes, I, I, I agree completely in that part of, us, part of Roberta, is getting better. And part of it is a bit lagging in that. And she realizes that, however she's realizing that. If she's got quantifiable data that says, you know, you used to do seven things a day, now you're only doing right. four. And right. we can arbitrarily or non-abstractly look at those four and go, well, they're not four bigger things. They're not four more important things. Everything is still the same, but you've just dropped in the number of things that you've done. So that's, uh, that's clearly something that she can look at and say, okay, well, I can now see that there's been a drop off in productivity. But remember that, you know, we've used the word productivity in industry for more than a century, meaning uh, output divided by input, where if I make the number of widgets and I can increase the number of widgets in the same amount of time or keep the same widgets and decrease the number of resources or time go to make it, I can say I'm more productive. But Peter Drucker, who wrote The Effective Executive and many other books in the 60s, mm -hmm. uh, said that it's doing the right things. So if uh, each of us, and Roberta uh, says... Well, I'm doing fewer things, but now I'm better at recognizing that I'm doing the important things. I'm not just, you know, typing notes from a meeting that no one is ever going to look at. That's right. so there's less, that's less very effective, but that's not very or that's very efficient, but it's not very effective. Fewer wasted tasks. Yes, yes. I, uh, I would also say that she's she's also losing track of fewer tasks. Yes, which is similar, very similar to what you're saying, which is that she made a commitment to herself to get something done. And she in her in, at some level, she said, I need to do it by a certain date and, and a certain level of quality and so on and so forth. Yeah. But her ability to meet her own commitments or her own expectations when you're in the world of memory, it's you know, it's all it's all random. And because yeah. you're not keeping any track of anything, you actually don't know what your baseline is what you do know is that when you try something like gtd things get better yeah but even if you're a gtd user you probably aren't using a heck of a lot of metrics to measure the things that brett and i are talking about so you're not really aware of like the total number of tasks you're trying to manage the expectations that you have them get that you're getting them done by a particular date with a particular level of quality you're not measuring the error rates. You're not measuring the quality of what you're doing. You're probably not. You're probably just just doing. So when the problem comes and these things start to fall apart, you're like, what, what, what happened? But I think what Brett, what Brett took us on an interesting line of thought, which is that maybe if you had some measurements, you would have seen the problem come in earlier. And I think that, Brett, that deserves a ding. I'll put this in. <laughs> okay. Because never, I've never thought that before. I've never, yeah. never thought that GT, if GTD had measurements built into it, measurements of quality, volume, um, um, error rates, and this kind of thing, maybe it could be an early indicator that it's that the technique is coming to it, the end of its useful life. 
that maybe there's time to, I know we're getting into solutions a bit here, but this is what happens when you get into deep, deep problem analysis is the solutions just start flying at you. What do you think of that thought? Well, it's uh, I was, a couple of things. One, remember, we, uh, we want to do the work and the work is key. Right. Planning and evaluating the work, especially the planning part, is right. part of it, but it shouldn't overwhelm us. It shouldn't take you know, somewhere between five and 15%, there's no solid number. I don't even think there's research indicating a good range of numbers, but we get a feel, a, a gut feel for, I shouldn't spend most of my day making my task list. I should spend right. most of my day doing my tasks. So I right. need to keep it at about a 95% work, 5% planning or somewhere along that, that way. Uh, the yeah. other is that, uh, you know, evaluating our work. And you're, as you were saying that, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, no one ever does Six Sigma on their own work. I mean, that is such right. an involved process that you want to, you need a warehouse or you need a manufacturing process right. and a lot of throughput to do that. And so right. there, the old juice isn't worth the squeeze, as in we could do a lot of self-evaluation and metrics about how well am I doing. I go, oh, it took me five minutes to make my to-do list today. Therefore, I must be more efficient than yesterday when it took me six minutes. Right. I don't think that's a valuable piece of uh, data. And so it's right. don't, you know, what are you going to do with the data once you collect the data? That's I've right. run into that a lot with uh, people. What, what I hear you saying is that to be someone who to be an e effective, productive person. So you're back to the premise, which is that you're 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 you're, you're trapped in a way because you have to use a system every day. You can't not use something. So you, you're, this is not, you can't stand away from it and study it. You have to use it every single day. And as you're using it, you're, it, it, it's, it's producing results for you. But you're not able to step away from it and analyze it to say, how well is it going? Is it near the end of its useful life? Is, it the kind, is, is there something that I need to be looking that's beyond this? And, and David Allen, you know, getting things done doesn't anticipate that there's another system to replace it. It's it's presented as, ta-da, <laughs> the this final <laughs> solution. It's everything you need. Don't worry about anything else. And what we all know, you know, apart from the, the handful of zealots, is that there is no one-size-fits-all solution yes. anywhere. And that getting things done works really well for certain things. And in, in the case of our conversation today, I would say, it works for a certain volume of tasks, a certain level of commitment, a, a certain kind of personality also, but also the kind of person who has a lot of discretionary time. Yeah. So when I read when I read Getting Things Done, and, I, and I've heard David David Allen speak, he he speaks as someone who, if you know if you know Myers Briggs, he's a, a P, mm -hmm. someone who's a P as opposed to a J. Um, there are some other time measures also I mentioned in my book, can't recall them, no, but other time scales that he also fits inside of. But he's someone who has other discretionary time by, by virtue of the kind of work that he does. Yep. He's able to revisit his list and look at his whole list of 300 things and decide what to work on next. It's not a problem for him because he has enough discretionary time. People who don't have that level of discretionary time run into problems. Mm -hmm. But because his book doesn't anticipate that you'll ever need another system to replace the one he suggests. He doesn't give you any hint that, oh, by the way, if this diet stops working for you, you'll know because blah, 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 and you'll need to track it because blah, 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 and that's when you need to start to go look for the next diet because that's the one that will lose the next set of pounds for you because your body has gotten used to this particular diet and it won't do for you what it did in originally yeah. but there's an you, there's an adapt there's a a, a a natural kind of meta analysis that people do but the way we do it i think is not in a systematic way that you implied or you would wish that we did <laughs> we kind of say well one size doesn't fit all and we go randomly i certainly did it this way we randomly go looking for stuff on the internet because yeah. we don't have a schema. We don't have a, a model to work with. We're just bumping into whatever we can find. And then we mix and match a bit here and we try a bit there. And yeah. it's all, it's not systematic. Yeah. It has no measurements. 
it's all a random walk in the woods and good luck. Well, I do have some, uh, you, you trigger some great thoughts uh, there. So uh, decades ago, I got a pilot's license and every airplane has a checklist in the cockpit, a clipboard, a list that the pilot has to go through. And even if it's the same type airplane, there may be subtle differences in that checklist between one plane and another plane because of something that was done, something that was repaired, something that was replaced in plane A that wasn't done in plane B, C, or through Z. The pilot has to check that checklist. But there are, there are consistent items in a more right. broad sense in that checklist that you would say, well, what are the what are the common factors in all airplane checklists? And you could say, oh, well, they tell you to do things before you take off, while you're in the air, and before you land, and before you turn the engines off. But the specifics differ. So the more that we remain very specific, like I'm going to do a system for a, an advertising executive. Another says, I'm going to do a productivity system for a professor. Somebody says, for a novelist. Well, you could maybe come up with a very, very specific thing. But, the, but if you say, I need to make a system for all knowledge workers, well, like the checklist, they have to be more broad. And that was one of the things that I've come up with uh, a kind of a solution in my own mind or an analysis in my own mind when I'm reading, getting things done and deep work and essentialism and all these books behind me about productivity and confused about, well, this system A, and I read that, and then now I'm reading about system B, and why are they not matching up? Is there more? And exactly like you said about mixing and matching, I thought of the idea, well, it's like a buffet. I go to the buffet, you go to the buffet, and we each fill our plate we each are satiated by the time we're done, but what we put on our plate is completely different based on our needs and our preferences at that time. I don't get the same thing the next time I come to that buffet because I may realize, you you know that stuff in the brown sauce over there? I don't know really what that is, and I don't want it anymore. So my plate may differ. My plate may differ the next time I go. So there's that. And I was like, okay, well, now I can kind of get it. I can pick and choose from this system, that system, that system. And it works for me until it doesn't. And then I may need to mix and match. I may need to do them in a different order. I may need to throw something out completely. And now I can figure out my current system. And I think that's where we go. It's like there is no universal system. That's what you're using right now. And what you're using right now is probably different than a year ago and probably has some differences from what you'll do six months from now. And right. as I'm looking at all this material here, I go, so how can I sort it even more? And I came up with the. Uh, go ahead. But I would, I would, I would, I would, I would say, and this is maybe where where people get stuck, and this is definitely getting into solutions now, okay. which is that Roberta doesn't have a way to think about her next improvement. Okay. So she let's 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 for argument's sake say she she or anybody else, we all have a next improvement, and that next improvement. Is the best improvement we could make. We yes. don't have a way to think through our options, provided we're open to them. So let's imagine that, yes, we're open to them. We don't know how to think about the next improvement. And that's a part of the problem because, as you probably know from, if you know, from, from any, any, anybody who's, a, who's been a part of any discipline knows that in the beginning, anything you try, seems to improve make things better mm -hmm. because you're so bad <laughs> you know <laughs> when you make that first when you make your first list and you've all you've you've only used memory before it's like oh my god i'm 10 times more productive and you're probably right you you know you make when you're at that inflection point it's like yeah things do get better yeah so it's like uh, oh go ahead yeah. oh well we no, discussed earlier about the, the Pareto principle, the 80-20, and I came up with the Pareto peanut butter principle, that it's always easier to get the first 80% of the peanut butter out of the jar than it is that last 20 or that last 2%. And at some point, it's not worth trying to get the last little bit. Right, right. You just you throw away the peanut butter at that point. Mm -hmm. 
Unless you really love peanut butter, <laughs> and, that's and unless you have no more peanut butter in the house, then, <laughs> right, right, then your, right. your, your situation is a bit different. And that, that could be the case for people who are listening to this podcast because, you know, we don't have average people who listen to something like this. These are the productivity <laughs> enthusiasts, and they want to know more about that 20%, the peanut butter that's left in the jar. But the, the, but the, the principle that you're, you're describing is that it's easy to make improvements in the beginning. It's harder. It gets harder to make improvements as you become more effective. Absolutely. Or to use our language, when you're managing a small number of small volume of tasks with your memory, just about anything you do will probably yeah. help yeah. improve well, that bad situation. Yeah. But to uh, to kind of paraphrase better. off David Allen's uh, quote, something like "The better you get, the better you better get." I would say the yeah. better you get, the harder it is to get better because right. you're, you're, you've maxed out the easy stuff, the, the low-hanging right. fruit. Now you're trying to really tweak system. I mean, if you think about uh, golf uh, experts or golf professional golf right. players, that and you know, one lesson for somebody that's never picked up a club, oh, okay, right. you mean I hold it in my hands? Yes, you hold it in your hands. You hold the club in your hands. Right. But then they're, tiny, they're tweaking just how do you, how do I hold my left elbow versus my right elbow? What do I lead this little bit? Right. And so it's, it takes a lot of practice to get that extra little bit. Right, right. And the advice that you give someone who is at the NFL combine is not the advice that you give someone playing peewee football, right? <laughs> it's, it's the principles may be at the base level be the same, but the coaching is completely different. And when you get up to the like you're a um, Brett, Brett Favre or you're, you're, you're someone who is uh, at the, the very highest level uh, at, at the sport. At that point, you are as good an analyst, analyst as anyone else. Mm-hmm. So if you're a tennis player, for example, like Roger Federer, who just retired, he's had multiple coaches. And why? Well, his coaches don't really tell him what to do at that level because... He's had more experience at that level than they have. Mm-hmm. So they're there as a, an outside pair of eyes and they make suggestions and he absorbs their information into his schema. He thinks about it and then he makes a decision as to what changes I need to make. So in other words, he's the ultimate coach as opposed to when you're starting out as a tennis player and somebody is telling you, hold the racket like this mm-hmm. and don't hold it like that. And they're very prescriptive. And that's kind of what you need when you're at the very beginning. But again, peanut butter principle, as you get to that last bit, I mean, you know, Roger Federer is at that last 1% of peanut butter. (laughs) (laughs) That that, that is really hard to, that's impossible to get to. Most people have given up long before, but he wants that little 1% because that little 1% is what will allow him to beat Rafael Nadal. Well, and if you look at uh, swimmers and runners, uh, that the mm-hmm. difference between first and second place is a few hundredths or thousands of, I guess, a few hundredths of a second. Uh, and so at some point, there are other factors at play. Get rid that last peanut butter, that last thing. It could be a, a humid day, a rainy day, the hills right. on uh, the track for a marathon runner could be different. And that's something that you know, you can practice for and practice for, but it just, all the factors today are different than they were. That's why, you know, uh, if you, in American baseball, where you have, uh, you know, two of the best teams going into the World Series, if the first team wins game one, why would they not win every single game? They're the same players, they're playing against the same players, but the conditions are different on the field, in the air, and in the mind. In the mind, Uh, right. Bodies too. They've studied the tapes of the prior game. And they yeah. say, look, 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 the way he holds the ball just before he, or the way he scratches his back of his neck means he's going to, so they're studying every yeah. small thing that they could, and they're down to the, they're down to the point zero zero one percent of that peanut butter in that jar, yep. trying to separate it from the last other bit of peanut butter to say, oh, if we make this small tweak, we could, no, the, 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 the challenge for someone like Roberto, for more story, is that she's not living in that world that we're talking about. She's not, she's not get, getting that where she is now is so far from where she was that 
The only thing in common is that it's an inflection. It's another inflection point for her. That's the only thing. And that she, well, it's another thing in common, sorry, is that she's, she's seeing similar symptoms. So she's seeing, again, to use the professional baseball analogy, if you're in the World Series and you're, you lose three games in a, in a row, and you haven't lost three games in a row since the first week of the season, you can't quite go back to the first week of the season and say, well, what did we, what, what was happening then? That's not happening now because now is totally different. You're at a totally different level of accomplishment. And what you used back then probably won't really work all that well now. Know that you're, you're, you've, you've obviously corrected for a whole bunch of things and you're at a whole lot of level of accomplishment. So she now needs to think, okay, I, I'm at an inflection point. I'm seeing some of the similar symptoms, but that's the only similarity. I need to go find answers somewhere different. No, it, it strikes me that that decision to go find answers somewhere different is where people really struggle. Yeah, I don't that, disagree. That, that kind of commitment doesn't it doesn't come readily, and, and there's no one there. There's no one telling you. Oh, sounds as if you you're at the last last one percent of the peanut butter. They're like, what? <laughs> it sounds like you, you know, you can't use the big old spoon that you use to get the first 80%. You got to, you just got to use something different to get to that next level. It's like, tip, but I think, the tip of the knife. Yeah. Right. I think professional athletes intuitively know what we're talking about because they live in such a competitive environment. They get a lot of feedback. They have a lot of numbers around them, a lot of data telling them things. They have a lot of people talking to them and they have a lot of expertise. And the way they analyze, you know, I wish the way they, I wish task management could be analyzed the way NFL, the NFL combine puts together its, you're familiar with the combine, Brett? Not a bunch of no, sir. Oh, well, it's, it's, it's it, I should explain it for, for my, for my, or listeners as well. So NFL combine is, is, they have combines for different sports, but for the NFL, they take the rookies or the would-be rookies, the ones who want to go into the draft. And they bring them all from all over the country and they bring them to one place and they run them through a series of tests. So they throw the ball under these different conditions. They catch the ball, they run, they sprint, they lift weights, they jump, they, they, they do all these different things. So you end up with a, a composite measurement of that person's abilities. Okay. And the scouts use the composites to determine, okay, well, this guy, he's really good. He's really good at this. He's not so good at that. He needs development here. He's weak in there. He's overweight over here. He's a little short over here. His body fat is... A... It gets down to ridiculous levels of the half of a half percent of peanut butter to separate <laughs> these top athletes from each other. And, you know, have all, you have all the different positions. And I believe all the major league sports have combines of different kinds. But the, the, so the, if you're a player, you're given this detailed feedback about your abilities, your physical makeup, your, your everything. And you use it to now design your program. So it has a, a benefit to you as well, as well as the scouts. But it's used on both sides. But the point is, it generates all this information. Task management, we're just like winging it. <laughs> We have nothing. Yeah, we're all on our own, pretty much. I mean, you have seminars and webinars and books and on tons of magazine articles about it, but there's really nobody sitting over your shoulder saying, okay, I want you to move your left shoulder this way. I want you to get up five minutes earlier today. It's a, there's a lot of self-discipline uh, into it. And so people who have the discipline to say, I'm getting better, getting better. Now I observe I'm not getting as better as quickly as I was, what's the problem? It could be like the many things we've suggested. There could be literally a defect in the system or you're ready for another piece of the system or it's just harder to get to that last little bit of extra oomph that's needed. Like the, game, the game changes on you. It's like, it's like being in academia, isn't it? Yeah. You do well, the, the, uh, well in your preliminary yeah. exams because it's, yep. it's, it's the same formula. You know, you know how to study and pass exams. Yeah. And then they say, okay, great. You got three years to either put up or shut up. And you're like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> because, well, no, I, no uh, the whole yeah. game is shifted. It's like, wait, 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 wait. 
I know how to study for exams. What's this? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, you're writing your thesis. You're in a whole different world altogether. And you, by the way, your advisor lives in, lives in China and the, the other one is sick. And so you're on your own and they're not going to yeah. help you too much. So good luck. Well, I tell my undergraduate students who are, you know, they're, they're asking questions about graduate school and go, well, what's the difference? And I say, well, in undergraduate, we basically like open your minds and just pour information in and you are expected to spit it back out to us. And I don't tell them, but it's actually what's called Bloom's taxonomy. Uh, It was developed in the 1950s. And so in your master's program, you will begin to learn that there are other ways to learn and there are other sources of knowledge. It's not just a textbook. And so they get really introduced to journal articles and the the write-up of one fact that has been tested in one study and how to begin to accumulate this knowledge. And so they're, they're learning that that's how it's done. And then in the doctoral programs, they learn to do it themselves. And so at the end of a doctoral program, the student is told, you now know how to learn new information, how to discover new information that's never been in a book, that's never been observed before. You have the tools. So now the responsibility is on you to now go find new information that goes into papers, which goes into books. Right. And and as you know, as an academic, there's some people who don't make that switch. <laughs> Yeah, they're 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 wanting it to to all be uh, given to them. But at one point, I'd like to to kind of come back on to they don't get it from you. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, why can't you yeah. make it like so I can understand it? Just tell me what I need to know. I go. Just tell me what I need to do. <laughs> you I'll need to it. know what you need to do. Yep. But uh, about all the material that's out there, and what the yeah. other uh, conclusion I came to about our analysis of it was what we actually use the term in academics called or research called meta-analysis. It's an analysis of existing analyses, existing studies. And so I took that to say, well, we've got all this research out there. Some it's formal, some of it's just anecdotal and books are written about it. And I said, is there a meta-analysis of all this time management and personal productivity research? And I said, well, not really per se that's done but then i came up with the buckets that they seem to fall into and i then used the acronym meta for m meaning mindset or motivation it's like why are you doing this thing that you're doing energy which is completely about the body are you getting the adequate sleep you need hydration nutrition exercise and then t for not time but task management what processes are you using to get these things done? And then A for attention, which is all in the mind. Are you sharp because of you got plenty of sleep? And so how you can see how they do, uh, how all four work together. But what I found is nearly all the systems and all the articles about systems fall either entirely or can be categorized in those four. And so my suggestion to people... In yeah. one of those four. And one yeah. of the four, or that they, they do overlap so that you right. uh, have better attention if you turn off your phone and don't get distracted right. by notifications. And if you don't right. look at your phone at night, you get better sleep. Therefore, right. you're kind of touching a couple of buckets. But the right. idea is, while I would never tell a person, well, this is the system you need to do and, and use, I would say these systems do fall in these buckets of mind, body, and energy. And, and right. then you're working on a particular task. And mm-hmm. that seems to be that, that approach. And then the, the other one right. was as maybe Roberta gets more and more sophisticated that right. you go from, oh, that app, that piece of software is right. the thing. That's going right. to do it for me. Save and me. so, that, yeah, that is tactile. I can touch it. You right. know, and it's tiny. And I can, I can hold it all right here. I can hold that app in my hands figuratively and then tactical is what is my system that that i'm doing on a hour by hour or daily basis so it's just a little step in complexity from one app to multiple apps or multiple things that are we're working and then strategic is how am i approaching my entire process of task management and then philosophical is why am i doing what i'm doing to begin with what is my mission here on earth what what am i 
what is my goal in life, my North Star? And so right. you can see that that becomes a lot more complicated and higher thinking and abstract than what app am I using? Right. So a person does, even without right. thinking about it, they do progress in this right. degree or the staircase of complexity. And at some point, most of your self-motivation speakers uh, are, are way up here. They're saying, oh, you right. can do it. You've got the power in your mind. Unlock the secrets. And while other people, you know, the, the listicles that you see are five apps you have to download before Christmas Day or before right. the new year. And so you right. can see the two different uh, methods. And I think there's this continuum that we're always going to be walking up and down. But right. ultimately, if we don't have that North Star, if we don't have that why am I doing what I'm doing, then this other stuff uh, is not going to be used as well as it could be. Right, right. So I absolutely agree that we're on the on on the continuum you described and and others. The, the, the difficulty for Roberta is that she doesn't know that. <laughs> She, she, she's, she, she's, oh, well, where, where I wrote the story is that she's, she's replaced one thing with another and that's all mm -hmm. she's done. She's not seeing the continuum and she's not seeing the journey and she's not seeing a life after GTD per se. And she's they, not listening to your podcast yet. <laughs> <laughs> but if she, if she knew she could do the kind of searching in the four areas that you described, because Back to the back to the idea of the combine. There's there's not all this data. You're not you don't have this rich environment telling you how you're doing. You're really left kind of scratching your head, wondering. You may go read academic literature. You may go read books. The academic literature and the books don't even. There's no connection between the two for the most part. They're two totally different worlds, and you're left having to kind of construct answers for yourself. Now, if she even knew that that where she's headed is uncharted territory and there's a bunch of continuums that she's she she now needs to know that she's always been on but guess what now you actually need to know it so you can actually manage it it could give her some freedom mm -hmm. yeah and rather than get so fixated on some specific tool that says either by their thought or the developer's thought or a writer's thought oh this is the magic pill Touch this and everything will be okay. I think it's best to kind of not look at that one airplane checklist, but to mo go much broader and go, what do I need to know to fly this plane safely and land it even more safely? What are the broader aspects that I can kind of look at, the philosophical and the strategic uh, items? And then two items, two concepts come to mind that are used in Japanese business, and one is Kaizen, K-A-I-Z-E-N, that is continuous improvement. And she's kind of doing that by saying, oh, this just doesn't seem to work. She's realizing that what she's that there's need for improvement. And so the physical process, the mental process is to be in the life, to be in the mindset that I did this today. Can I do it better tomorrow? Whatever better is defined in. And then the other uh, concept is MUDA, M-U-D-A, and that is waste. You know, the Toyota system talks about that. And it, it could be waste of time, waste of money, waste of resources, waste of a missed opportunity, uh, waste of physical distance that you have to walk to go pick up a tool when you could just move the toolbox closer to you. And now you've wasted less time going back and forth to the toolbox. And so these two Almost polar opposites of continuous improvement and reducing the amount of waste. Whatever system you use, however you come back from the buffet table of productivity, I think is the her best way to go. Well, you're talking my language because I'm a I was I was I was trained in in I'm an industrial engineer by background, operations research industrial engineering. So all we did in my early days was talk about just in time, and that, that that was all I all I focused on for the first part of my career. And those those principles, you're quite right. They're they're really powerful. It's just that they're they're not they dwell in the world of physical objects. Mm -hmm. We're in the world of psychological objects, tasks. And boy, this world is you you, you mentioned the different different disciplines the, that made up meta. The disciplines don't even talk to each other in academia. You know, there's all these silos and they don't with respect to what we want them to say to us. There's all these gaps between that don't get addressed. So unfortunately, Roberta is kind of like 
doesn't really have a schema doesn't have like a, a a path and hopefully you know through our discussion by just saying that she doesn't have one which is basically saying we all are are struggling when it comes to making steady progress having one one sort of mental model for how you make progress and seeing how that knowing that we need to manage it ourselves knowing that there's no answer out there to give you that you need to craft it of your own you need to put it together using different sources it needs to be multi-pronged in the way that you said you're on a continuum as you improve your skills a natural one and you keep wanting to add tasks which puts pressure on the whole thing you know it's not like you stay the same and that's it you you want to do more which adds a pressure to keep keep yeah. improving and keep so you put all those together maybe that's the sum of the the sum of the situation that we that's the state of the art right now that we could maybe the, this is it brett we don't have yeah. anything else to give do we have anything else well, <laughs> occasionally I, I keep a, a note to myself of uh you know those things that i go so what would i tell myself if i asked myself how to do better and uh the uh item number seven on here is do fewer things so it is conceivable that roberta is doing too much if we look at it from her boss's viewpoint her co-workers viewpoint her family's viewpoint you are too busy and you're not making the impact that you would want to make so you know pablo picasso did more paintings than leonardo da vinci leonardo no slack himself still was able to accomplish a great deal uh, on that uh, so i think if we you know, as going back to Peter Drucker is do the right things. Don't do more things. It's, right. That's not our definition of productivity. Right, right. And and more could actually mean less hours, mm -hmm. conceivably. For most people, it prob for many people who are driven, more probably means less hours of work as you would traditionally think about it and more hours of probably meta-analysis. Mm. Well, there you get into uh, Parkinson's law of the, the time allotted to mm -hmm. the work is going to be filled by how much ever time there is. So I actually mm -hmm. try to use that to my advantage of making false deadlines to myself. It's like, oh, I've got eight hours to get this newsletter done or this article done. But what if I only had three hours? Could I do it in three hours? Let's see what I can accomplish in three hours. It's so the old joke of the most uh, productive that we are is the afternoon before we leave for vacation. And we're just doing right. things right and left. It's like, don't bother yeah, me. Yeah, I'm really I can knock all these things off. We can productive, right? Yeah. And if we did half that amount on a consistent basis, we would get a lot done. Now, uh, we're kind of, I'm about to go off. Uh, uh, stop me so I don't go off uh, I'll, I'll another stop you avenue. We're here. almost at the end of our time. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to put that into is, another episode. <laughs> you can't. A person, a knowledge worker, can be so productive that the entire system cannot handle their productivity. So if I was to write one article per day for my organization, but I actually wrote seven articles today, what are they going to do with the other six articles? They don't have the bandwidth or the system in place right now. If you think back of the old... Uh, uh, Lucille Ball show where they're uh, dipping chocolate or putting things in the assembly line. The, there was right. too much throughput and the system couldn't handle it. So right. you can be too productive, I would say. So it's right. finding that sweet spot. Too productive in the sense that you're, you're trying to manage more tasks than your system can handle. Yeah, but your output, your good output is more than the system can handle. Right. Right, right, right. So, Brett, <laughs> I want to thank you for coming on the Task Management and Time Blocking Podcast, spending time with us. This is a, it's, it's a not, not a topic that I've heard discussed anywhere other than right here between the two of us, that there is this, per, the peanut butter, the peanut butter effect is real in task management. And if you're serious and you want to get down to the last few percent, then you're you're contending you're contending with a world that is it's not like tennis or football sorry it's 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 vague it's mushy it's undefined and you've got to be the one to make all the decisions because there's nobody who's going to guide you down to that last few percent so i love the analogy love the conversation and um brett how can folks get a hold of you and hear more about the work that you're doing 
So I, uh, I have a blog that's intended mostly for my students on how to increase their productivity. It's called theproductivityprofessor.net. And you'll see some essays on there. Uh, you can write me through there. I don't collect emails. I'm not selling you anything there. So it's a completely, um, you know, uh, open website for uh, finding information. So uh, I don't save your web. Uh, if you don't email me there, I have no idea that you were there. If you just want to re get in and read. Great. Great. So thanks, Brett. Mm -hmm. So folks, stay tuned. There's some more coming up. I'm going to, I want to tell you about the next episode that we have coming up here at the podcast. So we're not done. Keep listening. our next episode with Jason Van Der Veer. It sounds painful, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think there's a lot of people there that can, they can fall into that trap, right? They, uh, they might not have the feeling of fulfillment that they want. So they just keep working more. They keep working more and slowly start to forget about the other areas of life. Right. Right. And the truth is it worked in the past. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's it's kind of paid off, right? And if you want to leave a comment about this episode or any aspect of the work that we're doing here at the Task Management and Time Blocking Podcast, you can go over to www.replytofrancis.info and send me either a message uh, by text or send me a voice message, a voice note. And as you probably know, we have a couple of places that you can interact with other people, talk about this episode. One is at the community mightytaskers.scheduleu.org and you'll see the link in the show notes. And the other, of course, is our upcoming Task Management and Time Blocking Summit coming up in March. Two outstanding opportunities to interact with other people about the ideas that you've heard on this podcast or any of our episodes that are coming up. And if you'd like to support the work we're doing, I invite you to click on the Patreon link below to make a donation. And please don't forget to like our show and recommend it to others on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, or whatever past podcast app or service you're using. This is Francis Wade. I'm signing out. I hope to see you on a future episode. And until then, take care and all the best. See you later.